Welcome to the Real Freedom Podcast, where we inspire you to pursue your passion to gain time and financial freedom through opportunities in real estate. I'm your host, Mike Swenson. Let's get some real freedom together. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of uh, the Real Freedom Podcast. And today I'm excited to share, I have Joanne Bolt here, and she is the CEO of the Bolt Group, and you are based out of Atlanta, Georgia area. Right. And uh, and so she's been in real estate for a long time, and uh, also is the host of the Tina and Joe podcast, um, which you guys just recently started. So I'd love to hear you share more about that and and uh, you know the, the why behind that and the growth. So welcome, Joanne. We're so excited to have you. And uh, why don't you just share a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Um, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am an Atlanta native, so I'm a very rare breed. I did not move into the area. I was actually born and raised here, though I've moved around the 45 mile circumference of Atlanta over the, over the last couple of years. But I got into real estate in 2003 when I left my consulting job because at the time I was a newlywed. And my husband and I were both traveling, me with my consulting and him with his sales. And about eight months into being married, we looked at each other and realized we'd never even unpacked some of our moving boxes into the house we lived in together or used anything from the kitchen because we traveled so much. We saw each other like in the Delta crown room. I mean, that was date night on a Friday night. And so I said, well, this is not the life I really envisioned for myself. And if I don't want to continue being up the levels of Accenture from junior analyst to, you know, partner, like, let me just find something else. And so at the time I looked around and I did what most people I think do. And I said, well, I'll just get my real estate license while I figure out what I want to do in my big girl world. And um, 18 years later, I'm still slinging houses and in the real estate world. So it, it went from being that, let me get this as a career while I figure out what I want to do to be in something I truly loved. And so I stayed in, you know, in it over the, the last couple of years, I've been in it in the foreclosure market. I've been in it in the seller's market. I've seen all the ups and downs over the years. I've run a big team, um, you know, and now, now I'm kind of living life and running a whole different type of organization. And it's been kind of, it's been really fun over the last 18 years to explore who I am as an agent and kind of get mm-hmm. to grow. This career kind of lets you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and one of the reasons why I love highlighting people in real estate is that, you know, I often say it's it's like an entrepreneurial playground. There's so many different opportunities. There's so many different ways that you can pursue your passion and and mix it with the the gifts and, and what you want to do. Um, so for people that maybe haven't thought about real estate or are just new into real estate, um, talk about the early years for a little bit. It's a, it's a challenge, right? There's a lot of turnover. Um, a lot of people don't realize how difficult it truly is to, to get your footing in real estate. So, so talk about the early years a little bit for you and, and how you were able to, to kind of get a foothold. So the early years for me, I mean, I was 23, 24 years old, so I was very, very young and, mm-hmm. Back then, the only really avenues that that were open to you that I perceived were you were either an agent or you were an admin for someone, or you had a team with like your mom or your spouse. And I didn't have my spouse or my mom in real estate, and I wasn't going to be an admin because paperwork is just not my jam. And so I was like, well, then I'll just, I'll be an agent. I don't have enough experience to be a broker. So I'll just be an agent. And my broker at the time told me, you need to come in every single day. You need to practice scripts for two hours and then cold call. Here's the yellow pages back when that existed. 
just start calling for appointments. Okay. Well, I was 23, 24 years old. Yeah. That wasn't going to happen for me. Um, Mm -hmm. A, even back then they said listings were king. Well, I didn't feel like I had enough experience even in homes to list homes. I mean, I'd only bought one in my family growing up, like we never moved. And so I, I had no experience whatsoever. And so I said, well, I'm not going to cold call because that just makes me feel like a used car salesman. And I'm just not going to go down that path. This is not what I got into real estate for. So I was like, well, I'll just call all my friends instead. And Mm -hmm. my broker legitimately was like, um, your sphere is never going to be a sustainable, growable business. It can only accommodate about a quarter of what you're going to do throughout the year. And I was like, well, let me, let me bump that to at least half of what I'm going to do. And let's see where we can go with this. I mean, this was Mm -hmm. 18 or so years ago before hyperlocal agent and really working your sphere was the thing to do. And the only person Mm -hmm. you had to listen to was maybe Brian Buffini. He came onto the scene at some point around in that time. So no one really could tell you how to work your sphere on a big and high level. And And you didn't have social media. I didn't have social media. I had nothing. And quite frankly, I grew up in Kennesaw, Georgia. My husband and I moved to Swanee, which is still right outside of Atlanta, but it's a good 25 minutes in the other direction. And so Mm -hmm. my friends from where I grew up thought I I might as well move to Mississippi for all they cared. I mean, they were not going through Atlanta traffic to get to me. So I started out by figuring out in the neighborhood that I was in what school those kids would go to. And then I figured out what middle school, elementary and high school, all of those kids would go to. And I found four different subdivisions in the various price points to move up and down within those districts. And Mm -hmm. I started marketing with postcards, those four neighborhoods. Hmm. And I would do garage sales in those four neighborhoods, or I would go to the local coffee shop where those women and the men would go and have a cup of coffee at. And I just inundated myself in that little area because my theory was if you lived in the $200,000 neighborhood, and you saw one for sale sign of mine, or you've been getting my postcards and you decided to move up to the 350 house, you were probably most likely going to stay within the school district because you might mm-hmm. have children. And if you've been seeing my postcards in one neighborhood and you drove through the other and saw one for sale sign of mine, and that's really all it would take, then you would think I was the only agent to use in the area. Mm-hmm. Because all you really saw was me, right? Like I didn't have to go and expand out in 50 different miles. I just needed four different neighborhoods. And so I very selectively figured out where people were moving to and from, you know, I didn't just randomly pick the the neighborhoods. There might be four in the 350 range, but I asked enough people in my current neighborhood, where would you guys move if you had the opportunity? And Mm -hmm. I went and marketed that one because I knew it was the premier one. And that's really how I started my business. And everyone thought that I did. 120 homes a year. And I, I think my first year I did 18. I mean, like, mm-hmm. which is still better than your average is a, starter a, agent, but right. You know, that's a great like, number. And I did it without cold calling, without door knocking. All I did was postcards and just being visible in the community. Mm-hmm. I mean, God, if we'd have had social media back there, back then, I can't even imagine what I would have done. <laughs> yeah. So that's yeah. how I started my business. And then probably within 18 months of starting the business, um, I, I hired an admin. I did what every other real estate agent that gets busy does. And I hired an admin because I needed to leverage out that aspect of the business. Because me mm-hmm. calling attorneys to schedule closings or handing in the paperwork, I, that was not where my efforts needed to be. And I knew that really, really mm-hmm. early on. Yeah. 
Okay. So then talk about, you know, the next phase of, you know, I think one of the important things as we talk about, you know, pursuing your, your financial goals and all that is, is it takes great people um, in, in leverage, whether it's building your own team or whether it's partnering with great people um, that takes time and, and great people and, and trust and great relationships are hard to come by too. So um, talk about the kind of the next step of your journey of, of building, building your team out. The next step of my journey really involved it kind of happened by accident, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, I had an agent walk into my office. She was a newer agent. And she said, do you have any listings that I can do open houses on? I said, no, unfortunately, I'm really buyer heavy. Like I'm, I'm just not a massive listing agent. I'm buyer heavy. And she said, do you have any buyers that I could take out and show homes after you've consulted with them? And before you write the offer so that you can, you know, have Friday date night with your husband, Mm -hmm. without it being in the Delta crown room, you know, but like actually have your life back. And I thought, God, that's brilliant. (laughs) Because the showing agent concept, I didn't know anything about it. It wasn't in any books I had read. Nobody was Mm -hmm. really utilizing that. I said, you don't want my buyers completely as a buyer's agent. She said, no, I'm not ready for that. You work your sphere. They're your people. So I can't be your buyer's agent. Why don't I take a smaller cut and just show them the homes? Mm -hmm. Great. So that's what, that was my next step. And it leveraged back my time and gave me the freedom again to, you know, go to Georgia football games on Saturday with my husband. Cause I wasn't out seeing 25 homes and, you mm-hmm. know, um, go to dinner on Friday night with our friends. Cause I really wasn't trying to schedule homes to see the only mm-hmm. time I got super busy on a weekend was when an offer needed to be written. And then I wrote it myself. Mm-hmm. And so when I got back my weekends, all of a sudden, like life looked a lot different. And I started realizing the power of a team. Yeah. Well, and I think too, you know, realizing a lot of people talk about, you know, thinking about your dollar per hour activity, you know, the, the highest and best use of your time is, is leveraging your ability to, to write deals, negotiate deals and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And yeah, naturally by growing, you're allowing somebody else to come in underneath you and, and figure things out. And that pushes you kind of up the chain to where you can, you can focus your time and you get a little bit more freedom back um, because you, you have that great leverage. Absolutely. And I loved it. You know, I loved being able to have my weekends back, which most agents in my office you know, they would look at me and they were like, how do you not work on Sundays? Mm-hmm. Well, A, the clients I do take out, I'm very firm with. I don't work with you on Sundays. I'm going to church and then I'm going to spend the time with my family. So you need to look at homes on Saturdays. You know, we're going to mm-hmm. do this around my schedule. Um, mm-hmm. And the ones that had to look on Sundays, I gave them out to my showing assistant and she took care of them. And when you script it right, your clients, even your sphere clients, they're okay with it. Mm-hmm. And that was one thing I learned early on was how to script my best friends into not working with me, but with someone in my team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think too, I mean, people, people are flexible. I, I remember, um, you know, listening to a, a training early on where there was an agent and and he had only worked, I think one night in the past year and he was a million dollar agent. And the phrase that he said that always stuck with me is, you know, people are flexible as long as you ask. Yeah. And if you just tell them, you know, I, I have clients that I, love showing homes to at about between eight and 9 a.m. on a Thursday or Friday morning because that's what works for their schedule. And so I don't have to go show them houses on weekends because we'll go out at 8 a.m. on Thursday. And so I think just, you know, now we're, we're right on the ball as soon as that house pops up because now we kind of have the 
a little bit of a cycle happening where it's, it goes live on Thursday or Friday offers are due by Sunday. And then, you know, everything yeah, goes it coming a little soon. different now. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a little bit different, but at the same time, like, yeah, I can be Johnny on the spot on Thursday or Friday. And then I don't have to show homes on Saturday or Sunday because now we're drafting the offer and getting ready to submit an offer before Sunday night. So, um, but well, yeah, and I, I think looked that- around and real, you know, a lot of real estate agents, they live in such a scarcity mindset. Oh my gosh, I cannot tell my client that I I had other plans on Saturday afternoon because they may go find a different agent. But you're right. Like if you just set expectations up front with them of what your schedule looks like and why it looks like that. I found early on that when you give them the why, they don't really question the what. So if you say, I'm not going to look on Sunday mornings from nine until two because I go to church, and then we go to lunch as a family you've given them the, a solid reason and then they're okay with it versus just, mm-hmm. and yeah, I just don't want to work on Sunday mornings. Then they yeah. look at you and go, well, why not? But if you give them a why they're okay with it. Yeah. Well, and I think at the end of the day, if you show you're, you're worthy for that, they need to work with you or that you're a, of great value versus, you know, you have to show up and know your stuff. Yeah. You've got to guide them along the way, provide you know, come from contribution, explain the process. Here's why you want to work with a, uh, a sharpshooter like me versus the average agent. I mean, you have you have to show that first um, mm-hmm. to show like I'm an agent that's worth waiting for, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and this is why we're going to go out at these times versus like I don't know anything. And uh, by the way, don't uh, you know? I I can't help you on the weekends, but I it's okay. I really don't know my stuff, you know. You right because then the you come across agent- as like a part time agent who is flying by the seat of their pants and has no clue. And that's right. that's when your clients will leave you. You're right. Right. So, yeah. So, okay. So you've got a, you've got a buyer's agent now. What's, what's next? So then, so I had that buyer's agent and then we actually shifted out of that particular market center into one that was closer to where I lived mm-hmm. because it was, you know, I, when I first went into Keller Williams at the time, I did not mind driving 40 minutes to, to the market center that I was at. Cause I had come out of a consulting world where we sat in Atlanta traffic for two hours, three hours a day anyway. So right. this was a, a break for me. And after three or four years in the business, I looked around and went, um, KW is on every corner. They're kind of like Starbucks here in Atlanta. You, you will pass one every five miles. Let mm-hmm. me go interview the offices closer to my house. Mm-hmm. So that I can go into the office on a more regular basis and get back my time from being in the car. And yep. so we swapped offices, got to know that office. And the next thing I know, I was teaching in the market center and I had three more agents again, knock on my door and say, Hey, you're building a team. We like your philosophies. We like what you teach. Can we join in? And mm-hmm. I've always looked at them and said, well, you know, I don't give leads, mm-hmm. right? Like, if you're looking for the team that's going to hand you 20 to 30 leads that you can work a month, I work my sphere in my database. I'll teach you how to work your sphere in your database. But you know, I'm not the team for you if you're looking for automatic leads. There's other teams down the hall. Mm-hmm. And every one of those agents said, no, we've already talked to those teams and we want to work our sphere in our database. And so they just pretty much walked themselves onto my team without me really having to do a whole lot of like asking. It was just, are mm-hmm. you a fit? Do we work together? Can you work my systems? Does it make sense? And that's how I grew the team. You know, we mm-hmm. grew to about five to six agents pretty quickly in my fifth or sixth year. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that would have been late before 2010-ish? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Actually, right as the foreclosure stuff was really kind of kicking in is when I had the most um, agents on my team, mm-hmm. <laughs> ironically. Yeah. Well, and I think... <laughs> 
yeah, you're, you're showing that you're, you're providing value that meets what they want. You know, a lot of times people ask me, um, you know, I had an agent that was saying, you know, they were in another state and they said, Hey, um, you know, I'm on a team. I'm not sure if it's the right fit. I don't really know what to do. And I, I tell people, you know, and, and I've gosh, probably over six years talked and worked with two to 300 agents on our various teams that we had in our expansion group. And I said, a, t- a team is not for everybody because, um, <clears throat> you have to be, you have to want what the team provides. <laughs> like that's right. one, like there's, there's a certain part of the population that just doesn't want that. So, so obviously a team's not a good fit. Um, but then, yeah, you want your, what you're looking for to be what that, what that team happens to provide. And every team is different. They've got different pay structures. They've got different value adds. And so you're really truly looking for a, a good fit of I'm, I'm, passing out what, what you want. And financially it works for us to work together because then you don't have to feel like you have to, uh, convince them of your value. If they don't see your value, that's okay. That means you're probably not the right fit for them. Um, but it was great that you had people coming to you saying, I don't, I don't want what those other teams are providing. I want what you provide. Cause it fits with what I want. Well, and that's interesting that you say that. Cause another thing that I always tell people when they're looking at teams is, and be okay with the team for two to three years. You know, you're not signing up for a lifetime. Team members mm-hmm. are okay if you come and go. And know that if you're if you're helping the rainmaker leverage their time to do what they're best at, they're going to grow as an agent. And so some of the structures, some of the concepts may evolve over time as the team grows. And if they become an organization that isn't quite what you want, then go find a different one. Mm-hmm. You know, or learn to grow with it because that because really a team that stays stagnant is never going to get anywhere for anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So now you've, you've got a few agents in your team foreclosures happening. Um, what, what, what happens after that? What happens after that is I took a six year hiatus from the business. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I was named as one of Atlanta's top agents in my twenties. And as a result of some of the publicity, I had a very bad experience with a potential buyer. And, um, it's, you know, it's one of those things in real estate women are always a little fearful of is, having someone who isn't with good intentions with you. Mm -hmm. And so that happened. And I walked away from real estate for about six years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I said, it's just not worth it. It's okay. You know, I kind of figured my database was so strong. I'll keep getting referrals. And what I learned during those six years is something that nobody ever really wants to talk about in real estate. It's when the last for sale sign goes in the yard. It really is the last. Like your database may get you referrals that you can send out for the next 12 to 18 months. But mm-hmm. after that, they're going to quit calling you for a referral because they know you haven't been in the business. Right. And so yeah. after about six or seven years, when I decided I wanted back in the game, because I really did miss it and I loved it, mm-hmm. you know, my husband and I said, well, you'll never work with clients again. So I said, okay, well then how do I find the freedom to do the career I want that gives the finances I want and yet never work a client again. And so I immediately walked back in and built a team almost like that. The Mm -hmm. problem this time around for me though, was I had now entered into a world where Zillow existed, realtor.com existed, social media had become a thing. And so I was learning real estate almost from the ground up and trying to run a team at the same time. Mm -hmm. So for the first two years, I probably didn't have the same success I did before I took my break. And it's really because I, as I built it the first time around, I was learning it and doing it at the same time. And what I figured Mm -hmm. out this time around is I was learning it with the agents on my team, which didn't really give you the leadership that you needed. Right. 
you know? Yeah. And so that was kind of a, a fail back for me for, you know, for about two years and, until I finally looked around and said, you know what? I, I don't actually enjoy running a team anymore. This is not fun for me. Like having mm -hmm. these agents who are constantly looking at me with failure in their eyes or success. And the minute they get success, they go somewhere else. And then it's, it's just a rat reel I was on and yep. I kept hitting, you know, glass ceilings everywhere. I want to do this. I want to do that. I was starting to see in the real estate world, other opportunities come up. So mm -hmm. from the time I started in 03 to now in like 2014, all of a sudden you had massive operations people coming out. And I think it's really due to social media as we started seeing that there are more opportunities in the real estate career world than just running a team and being an agent. Mm -hmm. So I started coaching. Mm -hmm. I was coaching agents because that was an option now. And I found I was really darn good at it. So that was another mm -hmm. way for me to earn income aside from having my, you know, my sales team. Yep. And I just started looking around and realizing like, you actually can have a really fruitful real estate career and never sell a home. Mm -hmm. And that was eye opening. And that's kind of where we are. So fast forward from 2014 to 2021, that's kind of where I am right now is yep. I'm now running a team here at EXP and I, I, I loosely term team, right? It's more of a network because mm -hmm. none of these agents have a split with me anymore. I'm not providing right. leads. What I do provide is coaching, consulting, and guidance to them because now you don't have to just circle prospect. You don't have to just send postcards. There's a thousand different ways of working your sphere, working your database, working the business, and all of them have their own personalities. And so I just get mm -hmm. to like, pop into their personalities and help them problem solve, you know, to get them to the next level. And that is so fulfilling for me. And with mm -hmm. EXP's model, um, you know, I earn revenue share, so I'm still getting my financial freedom that way. But mm -hmm. now I have the freedom to travel with my husband because he travels for a, you know, a living. I don't, I'm not mm -hmm. tethered to the Atlanta area any longer and I'm not tethered to my office any longer. And the world kind of just opened. Yeah. Well, and I think that's a key piece, like going back to, <clears throat> like, uh, you know, being an agent on a team versus like a coaching relationship is, you know, it's, it's a lot like people say, you know, when they, when they invest in real estate, it's, well, I don't really want to invest in real estate. Cause I don't want to get the clogged toilet call at 2am, you know, <laughs> exactly. when, when you're, when you're leading a team, you're getting that clogged toilet call at 2am from your agent, um, because you're the team leader. You're the one that they're going to for that. When you're in Absolutely. a coaching relationship, you still will get some of those, I need help more urgent type calls. But, but really what you're doing is you're empowering them to make great decisions that they then go and execute. And you kind of get to, to turn off as soon as that phone hangs up, you know, from your coaching call, now they get to go run with it and you don't get that 2am toilet clogged call from them. Um, unless it's a, a big emergency, but that is the difference between coaching. You get to use all your wisdom and experience that you've gained to help them. Uh, but you also get to turn it off in a way that you don't when you're running your team. And it's so much it's more fun for me and it's more challenging at the same time because mm -hmm. now you're right. Like instead of getting the phone calls at nine 30 at night on a Saturday night, because we're trying to write an offer and the deadline is 10 PM and we cannot find the wording for the special stipulation. And Joanne, you know, every mm -hmm. step in your head, what is it? Mm -hmm. I'm not answering contract questions any longer. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not like a qualified broker any longer. Basically now mm -hmm. it's on Friday afternoon as an agent is sitting I've got three strong, strong female teams in my organization right now. So I get a lot of phone calls from those agents that are like, mm -hmm. Hey, I'm sitting with my buyer's agent 
and this is the struggle we're going through. Could mm-hmm. you give us advice and guidance? Heck yeah. And they, so now I'm getting to like live in that world of strategy, which is really, really appealing to me a mm-hmm. whole lot more than just the yeah. everyday, like check the box and dot the I and cross the T questions. Yeah. It's funny that you said that we we have an agent on the team that um, was writing their first purchase agreement. I think it was two weeks ago, or maybe three weeks ago. And we did a a screen share call at I think 930 at night on a Saturday night. And it's like, okay, here's where you go through this. Here's what you put in this box. Here's how you do that. And, and I get it. I'm okay with that. You know, having been in operations for six or seven years, like I like the kind of the frontline work is a little bit different for me. It's, it's new. And because I've been in real estate for so long, like I understand how to do it, even though I'm, I'm newer in the agent world, but it's, it's nice to have those calls because I, I do enjoy helping, you know, seeing the light bulb come on and helping them get, you know, this first, which moves to this first, which moves to this first as they move down their chain, which ultimately ends up in their first closing, like that stuff's exciting. Um, but, but yeah, it's nice when you, um, can strategize and really, um, have a bigger impact because when you're impacting leaders that are impacting their teams, um, it, it, it really impact, it really, uh, magnifies the impact that you have through your, your coaching relationship. Yeah. And then, and I can still celebrate those first, mm-hmm. you know, like your buyer's agent gets their first ever closing. And, and I'm going to celebrate that. I'm going to shout that on social media to the world for you. And mm-hmm. with you, they cap, they icon, they mm-hmm. earn their first stock. They, you know, they find their first listing at whatever it is. Like I'm, I get to still celebrate that stuff just mm-hmm. in a different way. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the the freedom piece. So um, you you shared how you um, you know earn income um, because of their production. You get to travel a little bit more with your husband now. Um, you're you're not answering the the late night phone calls from the agents. Talk about kind of that freedom piece of where you're at today, and then maybe over the next couple years, um, what that looks like for you as as you know kind of where you want to go here after after today. Yeah. So the freedom piece for me, you know, everyone looks at freedom a little bit different, right? Like Mm -hmm. whether it's time or finances or not having a boss, you know, to clock in and out of, for me, it's the freedom of being able to explore where I want to go with this career because I love Mm -hmm. what I do. There's no reason to retire because I love what I do. Mm -hmm. And now when I'm seeing the other opportunities, I'm not bogged down for lack of better words to one office you know, four agents all looking at me at the same time, every single day, you know, I have the freedom to look around and go, I met an amazing woman named Tina. And she and I both have a passion for women, real estate agents. And we're going to start a podcast where we talk about that. Like now I've got the time to do that and the freedom to go and look into that avenue of, of that part of a career. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, like I said, my husband works, um, he works internationally. Mm-hmm. So the hardest two years we had when I was in a traditional real estate role was 2018 and 2019 because he works in London. I am in Atlanta. That mm-hmm. makes life quite difficult. So, yeah. you know, now granted for the last 12 months, he's not been allowed to fly, but we're going to assume that that's going to start again soon. And with the way I'm running things now, I could fly over to London with him for five or six days and it's okay because I can still hop onto my Zoom calls. Yeah, I have mm-hmm. like three consistent with members of my organization. So all I really have to do is make sure either those are covered or I'm hopping onto them and I'm good to go to travel and I can do that from anywhere. So mm-hmm. now I have that freedom to, 
you know, if he walks in the door this afternoon and says, the queen opened the doors again in London to fight and travel, like, let's go. I'm like, heck yeah, I need 20 minutes to pack. Where's my passport? Mm -hmm. And I didn't have that before. Yeah. You know, and so like that for me is super big freedom. Mm -hmm. Now, financially, I've also gotten to explore things like investing. I've, I've purchased rental homes now. You know, I'm, I'm taking a look at real estate in all kinds of different ways than just the commission and what you get off each commission check. Yeah. And, you know, we, we always used to say a lot, uh, you know, running with the wind behind you versus feeling like you're running into the wind. You know, if, if you're a track star and you've got that huge headwind, it's like, you're, you're just going to get so much more fatigue. But when you, you plant these different seeds and you have these different streams of income and you're growing opportunities now, you know, next year, it gets easier than this year. Now you still have lots of responsibilities. You still have problems that come up. It doesn't mean it's perfect, but, but you can, you can truly build year over year. Um, so, so share a little bit about, uh, your investments. Um, so I will tell you that one thing my dad taught me growing up was that you make your millions in real estate, not Mm -hmm. in any other career that you ever have. And he was the top salesman at state farm for, I don't know, 30 years. And he still said it wasn't State Farm. It was real estate. He bought and flipped rentals all the time. So um, a couple of years ago, I looked around and said, okay, well, we have our primary home and we have now purchased a condo in Florida. Mm -hmm. But why don't I have actual rental properties here in the Atlanta area? You know, it's one of those things that you're like, Duh, I'm a real estate agent. Why am I not buying real estate? But we don't think about it on ourselves at the same time. So I found one of our listings that would have been, I mean, it was a great rental, had great ROI for rent. And I used the commission on it as the down payment, got a loan on it, bought the Mm -hmm. house and used it as my first rental and opened up, you know, a bank account and an LLC for it. And everything had its own P&L and did its own thing. And after about 13 months, I looked at that bank account and said, I think I have enough to combine with my commission on another home and, you know, take a better loan out and buy my second one. And so Mm -hmm. I've been on a path that we buy, we buy two or three rentals now a year Mm -hmm. because the rental incomes that come in combined with my commission make it to where I can take a loan out on a property without actually putting physical cash in. And yep. as long as the rent covers, you know, the mortgage, the taxes, the insurance, the HOA, all the kind of mess that comes up with having it. And I have a property manager because I don't touch any of them. I don't want the toilet phone calls at 2 right. a.m. Yep. You know, and as long as we stay profitable on that, I, I'm not your typical investor. I'm not looking for that certain percentage off every home. Mm-hmm. What I'm looking for is, and I learned this from some of the investors on Bigger Pockets. Um, yep. If you're familiar with that podcast, oh, I yeah. listen to them yep. a lot too. What I'm really looking for is, are all my expenses covered? And is there about 100 to $300 per rental every month that gets put into the bank account? Because mm-hmm. if there is, and there's steady money coming in, then they're just buying the house for you. And then when you go sell it, you're looking for you know, the Delta on the sell. Mm-hmm. So we actually have got three of our rentals under contract right now to sell. And we're going to use a 1031 to exchange them into different rental properties. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of fun too. It's like playing Monopoly. Yeah. And you, (laughs) yeah, you get to, um, you get to experience the, the power of, um, of leveraged money, um, and all the appreciation and stuff that goes along with it. Now, I know a lot of times people are talking about, yeah, you know, well, what if the, what if we see another dip in the, in the, real estate market. Well, when you're playing the long game, 
yep. 10 years, 20 years, it's, it's going to work out over time. And so, you know, if you had, let's just say for clean numbers, a um, hundred thousand dollar property and it appreciated by 10%, well, you made $10,000. Um, but if you had a million dollar property, million dollars worth of properties, whether it's one or two or three or however many, and it appreciates by 10%. Now you've made a hundred thousand dollars. Right. Um, and so, um, it's just building, it's like pushing a snowball down a hill. It's just going to gain more and more momentum as you go. And the hardest part for so many investors is just getting started. It is a lot of times people say, well, I've always thought about that. Um, but I just haven't, I, I don't know what to do, you know, or, and at, at some point you just got to take the risk, right? Just like anything big in life, you're not going to get the reward unless you take the risk. You just and it's okay to take money. a loan out. A lot of investors don't realize that, especially in your first one. In mm-hmm. fact, I like to keep a loan on half of our properties because that's a taxable event that I can mm-hmm. use, you know, to write off on taxes. Right. But you know, you're right. Like, yes, Real estate can go down. It will come back up eventually. But, you know, and, and here's my kind of theory on it. You buy a $100,000 house. You never actually write a mortgage payment because your renters do that. Mm-hmm. And then you end up selling it in five years at 90000 mm-hmm. You really haven't lost ten grand because you never right. paid for the house. Right. So anything you walk away with at that closing table, and hopefully there is a delta there, is actually profit. Mm-hmm. And if you run it that way, I don't worry about the the market dipping down. Right. What I worry about is, do I need to flip that house before it gets expensive? Yep. You know, like before the roof caves in and the new HVACs need to go in. I don't mind doing a certain amount of repairs every year, but mm-hmm. you know, when it hits that point where you're like, oh, every appliance is about to tank, the roof's about to tank, all the HVACs are about to tank. Yeah, I'm out at that point. That's when I put it on the market and sell it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, it's, it's exciting to see all the growth that you've had and, and to be able to utilize all your wisdom and experience that you've gained through the years to, to have a bigger impact on people, to have a big impact on women in real estate. Um, because I know there's a lot of people that love hearing other moms explain what it's like to be a mom in real estate. Right. And so I love that you you're sharing that. And Tina is going to be a new mom um, here pretty soon too. And oh, I keep that messing journey. with her and she's like, no, don't tell me I have pregnancy brain. I'm like, honey, it's a thing. And then you're going to have new mom brain and we're okay. And I'll help you get through that. But mm-hmm. yeah, she's yep. about to be a new mom and mine are 11 and 13 now. So I'm kind of on cruising altitude, but it's mm-hmm. a whole different world when you've got two full-time jobs. One is a real estate agent and one is a mom. And so Absolutely. I, you know, that's one of the things I, I do a lot of consulting with the women in my group is okay. Your husband may go to work from nine to five, but you actually only have nap time. So make it powerful. Yep. 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 So, yeah. So for those folks that have, you know, heard, heard your story and and it's been impactful, how can people reach out to you with questions or just want to learn more or listen to your podcast? The podcast is the Tina and Joe show. And the word Anne is actually the Anne Persan sign. So it's Tina and Joe, J-O show. It's on all the major Um, podcast players, Stitcher, um, Apple, you know, you can pretty Mm -hmm. much find it anywhere. You might just have to search because a lot of people spell it wrong is what I'm discovering. Mm -hmm. But uh, other than that, I'm on most of the major socials. My favorite one is Instagram. My handle is it's Joanne Bolt. That is where I spend most of my time. It's where I answer all the DMs myself. I don't have an admin answer those DMs. So if you're on the Instagram, that's the best way to get a hold of me. Otherwise, yep, you can find me on Facebook, Joanne Bolt. 
me or my admin will answer those um, yep. direct messages, but you'll get a hold of one of us. And so we can, we can point you in the right direction. Awesome. Well, thanks so, so much for coming on and sharing your story. It was, it was great to hear more about your journey in real estate. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It was fun. All right. Thank you.